question as we begin. I'm so glad you're here today because I know the Lord has something really special for you. But I'm going to ask this question, and you can be as honest as you want to be. But what happens when the circumstances of your life don't line up with the faith that's in your heart? You ever been there? When the challenges of today don't line up with what you think God is saying to you. What is God saying, and then what is showing up in your life? How many people know sometimes there's a gap between the two? Would you agree with me? How do we believe in the midst of our struggle to believe, or when doubts or unbelief plague our mind, what do we do as followers of Jesus to stand in a place of belief against all odds? I want to read from 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 9 to 12, because Paul, who writes this from a prison cell to his disciple Timothy, in the worst of all places, and this is not like a North American prison. We have a big prison in Lindsay, and it's not like that cushy place that we have up there. I mean, it's pretty nice. It's got, you know, stereo, and it's got TVs, and it's pretty, pretty cozy and warm and nice meals. But Paul's prison was nothing like the prisons we have today. It was more like a pit. Think of sewer. That's kind of where Paul was writing this from. So this is what he says in verse 9, and he shares this with his beloved son in the faith. Verse 9, it begins, He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus, watch this, before the beginning of time. Verse 10, But now it has, pay attention here, been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus who has destroyed death, come on, and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That's good news. Look at verse 11. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald. Now let me explain a herald. A herald is not someone that just says things. A herald is someone that can be observed. It's with signs to be observed. Not just words, but in, in life itself. Something visible. Everybody say visible. visible. So you can see the message, not just hear the message. I was appointed a herald, and that's really important for you to understand. This generation doesn't need words. They need to see the life of Jesus. Would you agree? All right. I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. Verse 12. That is why I am suffering as I am. Remember, he's in prison. Yet this is no cause for shame. Wow, what an attitude. Watch this now. Because I know whom I have believed. Without a doubt, Paul knew this. I'll read that again. Because I know whom I have believed and am, watch this, convinced that he's able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Wow. That's a powerful scripture. Let me say this. Revelation is not something that you measure. Revelation is someone that you meet. Big difference. In the idea of this text here, verse 9 to 12, you have to understand it was written in one full absolute, without even any punctuation, one breathless exercise of Paul's proclamation to Timothy. If in the original writings, there isn't even an apostrophe. It's one long, long run-on sentence. Anybody write like that? One long run-on sentence. This is Paul pouring out his heart in one breathless exhortation. Timothy, listen to this. You see, verse 12, when he says, because I know whom I believe is absolutely vital in understanding how you can reach other people. But if you don't have a verse 10 before, you can never have a verse 12 if you don't have a verse 10. I'll explain. 
It has now been revealed, verse 10, through the appearing of Christ. If you don't have a revelation, if Jesus has not appeared to you, if he's not real to you, you cannot say with confidence, I know in whom I have believed. You've got to have the appearance of Christ in your life. And that's the problem with a lot of church people. They don't have Christ is not real. It's just some ideas in the head, maybe even a belief system. But the revelation that Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior and that he has appeared to you, he's transformed your life, then you can say with confidence, come on, church, I know in whom I have believed. Hallelujah. Amen. Say this with me. I know in whom I have believed. This is going to be less of a proposition this morning and more of a confession. Because I have grown in my faith over the years and I've recognized there are some things that I thought I knew really well that really God needed to help me understand some things. See, this scripture, which is not only powerful, it's very unusual. The fact that it's, a, it's, it's Paul pouring out his heart in one full proclamation to his son. And there's a lot of people who only get a portion of the proclamation and not the whole thing. We've been trying to tell the generations to come a little bit of who Jesus is. We haven't given everything who Jesus is. And that's part of our challenge. Would you agree? We need the full gospel message to this generation today. Would you agree with me? And it's another thing to claim in times of triumph, who your God is. But like Paul, in times of trial, to make that bold proclamation, how many people know that's in another, a whole nother level of faith? When things aren't going well and you're still able to say, I know in whom I have believed. Come on. When you're in a crisis and you can still proclaim, Jesus Christ is Lord. When your struggle is greater than your faith, how many people know, and Jesus is my Lord and I will follow him all the days of my life. If your circumstances don't line up with what you believe, how many people know, I take what I believe over my circumstances? This is faith. And if you're old enough like me, life can challenge you in what you believe. How many people know what I'm talking about? You've gone through struggles, maybe even illness, some things that have been attacks of the enemy. How many people know life is not a bed of roses? It's not a little walk in the park. It's not a Sunday school picnic. There's a lot of battles in this life, and we need Christ in every part of our lives. Now, I'll ask this question to you. If what we believe isn't affecting who we become, do we really believe? Wow. You can say, ouch, or you can poke your neighbor and say, he's talking to you right now. (laughs) If what we believe isn't affecting who we become, do we really believe? That's the big challenge of this morning. Would you agree? Let me confess, growing up, I always thought that I needed to know more in order to know God more. See, the real challenge of real faith is that it affects me. It changes me. If it doesn't change me, why is it not changing me? Why is it not impacting my life? If what God has done for me, and I read in his word that there's many things that God has for me, and I can see that there's many things that he has in store for me, and I might be right here presently, but I know he's got more. Come on, say he's got more. How many people feel like a little struggle? Sometimes I've been here way too long, and I know I need to be there. Anybody with me today? You're going to be honest with me, or you're going to play church? Come on. How many people know that God wants us to realize that he has more in store. In fact, say that with me. He has more in store. Your 2019 is going to be better than your 2018. I know. It really is. 
And you need to hear your pastor next week as he comes to share, as he says, explode with the message that's on his heart. This church needs, you got to, by the way, you've got great pastors in this house and young and the others that I've met. It's a really, really beautiful place. But when life gets difficult, that doesn't mean I give up. That means I press in. And I hold on to that which has held on to me. Thank God for Jesus who holds us in the palm of his hands. So let me confess, if, if growing up, like I thought, I needed to know more, and sometimes, listen to me, don't get me wrong, some people think that theology is all the answer, that the more facts I know about the Bible, the stronger that I will become. But I'll tell you, those who intimately know their God will be strong and do great exploits, says Daniel eleven thirty two. 32. It's not a matter of knowledge alone. You need more than knowledge. You need to experience the presence of a living Christ in your life. See, theology can't make you stronger. Beliefs aren't formed because you believe about the what that's in the Bible. You need to believe in the whom of the Bible, and that's what makes you stronger in faith. What if you can com have complete confidence like Paul, and even when you have no certainty that what you're experiencing is going to change? In fact, I will say this. Don't even worry about your doubts. God is bigger than your doubts. Even if you struggle here, how many people know he's looking at your heart? Your desire for more, your desire for him far surpasses anything that you might struggle up here. Come on. Sometimes our brains get a little wonky. Sometimes our brains always don't. Come on. Would you agree with me? This is the time, wives, to poke your husband. See, I told, he's preaching to you right now. Come on. We don't always get it right up here. But how many people know God's working on us on the inside? I confess that I need him every day. I need the Savior not just to go to heaven. I need him every day to live in this world. And my confidence, yes. Even when things feel blurry, when things are unclear, when my vision for my life is uncertain, even when things seem a little hazy and my expectations seem unmet, I know my God is bigger than these things. See, my confidence does not come from my understanding of God. It actually comes from God himself. So I'll give you an example. God doesn't want to give you strength. He wants to be your strength. There's a big difference in that. Come on, church. That was a good word for somebody. You're looking for God to give you some strength? He is your strength. Everything you need is found in him. Jesus is the Savior. He's your deliverer. He's your redeemer. He's your comfort. He's all in all. He is more than enough for you to live the life that he's called you to live. Hallelujah. What you believe is very important, though. I will add this. There's a lot of people, I don't know about you, but you have neighbors that believe some strange things. We got people around us that believe some very wacky things. In fact, in Toronto, sometimes you ever met somebody that they believe kind of weird things? You ever met the weird people that believe weird things? Not all beliefs are equally valid. Some beliefs are false. Some beliefs are deception. Some beliefs are destruction. Some people believe that they could drive a car through a crowd of people to make their cause noted. Come on, how many people know that is crazy belief system? That you can blow yourself up and thinking that is going to further your cause. How many people know that is a crazy belief system? So not all beliefs are valid. And not all beliefs are true. Would you say amen? In fact, you have to understand, some people think that as long as you believe in something, it really doesn't matter what you believe in. I find that to be completely false. It does matter what you believe. That's nonsense if you believe that all, if you think that all beliefs are true. Jesus said he was the way. He was the truth. 
Come on. And he was the life. Did he not say that? In fact, he even goes into the present. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Jesus is going to take it a little further because he's going to say, I will be the way. I will be the truth. I will be the life. Past, present, future. Jesus is the way, truth, and life. All other beliefs outside of that are not accurate. They're not valid. They're not true. Not all beliefs are, are equally valid. And I'll tell you this right now. The Bible even talks about some beliefs that I find hard to believe sometimes. Anybody with me? There's some things I'm looking at. i got to love my enemies. Oh, my, my, my. i got a neighbor behind me. I'll tell you about my neighbor. My neighbor swears at me often on a regular basis. I give him a gift, and he tells me not thank you, but another you. And he swears, and he, how many people know you have some people around you that find God's really convicted me, and he's told me to pray for my neighbor. By the way, we've been praying for our neighbor, our neighbor to the, to the left of us, or to the right of us, got saved. He's in their church last week on Sunday. It was wonderful. Our neighbors across the street came to a Christmas Eve service a while back. We're praying for our neighbors. They roll up the garage door. I sit down with them, and I shoot the breeze with them because I want to connect with my neighbors because I want them to see that Jesus is alive in my neighborhood. How about your neighborhood? Do you want your neighbors to see that Jesus is alive? And it's possible for you to be, to represent Jesus well in your community. So let's know what we believe. Would you agree with me? Now, in loving our enemies, it's, it's difficult. Forgiveness is a big issue. Your pastor preached on this a few weeks ago on forgiveness, and that was a, if you missed that, that was a powerful message on forgiveness. An absolute necessity if you want to follow Jesus well. Forgiveness is counterculture to our, to our day today. Would you agree? I want to read a story to you out of my book, and uh, it's from chapter 5. The chapter is called The Fault in Your Scars. And uh, I begin every chapter with a little bit of music. If you love music, every chapter begins with a stanza or a poem or some kind of a, a lyric of a song, some of my favorite groups. And uh, this song, I'm going to read this to you first by Josh McCabe, um, the band called The Caves. And he says, My defender, you're my shield. It's by your hands that my scars are healed. You weren't in the fire. You weren't in the rain. You held me close and whispered my name. And I can't find a reason to hide anymore. Listen to the story. True story. My story. And it's called A Reason to Hide. I was born and raised on an apple farm in southwestern Ontario. Here, one a little country boy up here today sharing, sharing some stories of when I was a child. The harvest of apples was in full tilt. And the orchard was teeming with workers on this late September day. The quiet cold of the morning faded as the warming rays of the mid-afternoon sun began to force the layers of warm clothes away. My body was tired from the careful labor of apple picking. My shoulders ached with the constant weight from the harness straps that held the collection bucket up and close. In need of a break from the weight and the warmth, I dropped both the bucket and the layers of outerwear at the side and went for a walk away from the trees." I walked past all the other workers and carried on like I had something important to do. A benefit of being the son of the owner is that the other hired hands don't dare call you out when you're slacking off or wasting time. They try and ignore you, and that's exactly what I was banking on. Wasted minutes had passed, and I continued to lie down in the soft green grasses away from jealous eyes. High above the tree line, my brother Kevin was perched on an apple ladder, elevated with a clear view of my lazy escape. He was working with another crew down the line, but he knew I wasn't at my assigned place of work. He began to shout at me, Hey, slacker, get back to work. 
Irritated at being called out, I chose to ignore his bratty cackle. Less than a minute later, I heard, get off your lazy self. Oh, I better stop right here. The uh, publishers wouldn't let me put the word that I wanted to there. It was a King James donkey, just in case you want to know the original word. And they changed that to self. All right. Get off your lazy King James donkey self, or I'll tell dad you were goofing off. A few of the other workers chimed in as well. My irritation quickly led to fury. It's kind of crazy how dark your thoughts get when someone angers you so much. Rather than say anything and admit my annoyance, I strolled over to where my brother was, high up in the air, and with a swift boot, I kicked over the three-legged ladder that mounted Kevin up over the height of tree-tall apples. The ladder came crashing down with the sudden sound of aluminum on dirty gravel, and the seven rungs of the steps sprawled beneath Kevin as he fell flat upon it. The fall followed by breathless silence. Winded and wounded, Kevin lay still in the tangle of pain and aluminum. My first instinct was to run away. I did not wait to find out about his injuries. All I knew was I was in trouble, so I took off. I later learned that Kevin did not sustain any broken bones or cuts, but he did acquire several bruised welts from shin to shoulder, precisely measured by the rungs of the horizontal ladder. Out of the orchard area, I ran and hid from the consequences that I'm sure would follow. Whether it was my brother's revenge or my father's indignation, I knew I had a reason to hide. Hiding in the boxes. The barn was never empty. It was always jam-packed with wooden crates and cardboard boxes, waiting to be collected and filled up with produce destined for markets elsewhere. The barn sat on a slight ridge in the middle of the farmstead, standing a little taller than the rest of the buildings. It was the first thing you noticed when you arrived on the property. This was the place I ran to hide from my fate, knowing I could scramble my way through the densely filled storage shed and hide in quiet. The barn in former years was used as a hayloft. Remnants of straw still littered the extra-wide floorboards that creaked with the weight of every step. The doors swung open and closed on rusty hinges, hiding the darkness inside, then revealing it, and then hiding it again. Similarly, the hidden darkness of my own heart was revealed by the hinges of my earlier actions, which I now desperately wanted to close away. The silence of this place not only amplified the shortness of my breath, but the smallness of my guilty soul. Outside light squeezed through the barn board gaps, eliminating only streaks of the truth. While the dark shadows filled the majority of the scene, my rational mind, too, was overshadowed by er my irrational mean streak. This blurry daydream revealed my very dark imaginings. When my equally passive anger boiled over into reactive rage, everyone was stunned, but only I felt the quake of my own hidden fault line. As I was hiding in this fort of boxes, I felt trapped, brooding like prey in a hidden cave. I was prey to my own indiscretion and lack of self-control. This hiding thing is a common occurrence in the Bible. David fearfully hid in a cave when he fled from the wrath of King Saul. Elijah abandoned himself into a wilderness cave and hid in despair away from Jezebel's fury. Early Christians who faced persecution hid among the caves. There are many reasons why people choose to hide. The sun, now making a rapid journey west, left long shadows from its setting. The rays penetrated the annals of my hiding space. 
with a door creak and a clear command, my dad hollered up into the barn, Where are you, Anthony? Convinced that he realized that I was hiding among the boxes, I hid my eyes from him, even though I knew he couldn't see them. One more time, he said, Come out here and get home. Guilt and shame burned my soul like a hot brand marking the rawhide of a young steer. The imprint seared as my dad stood wordless at the barn door entrance, waiting for my response. I chose silence, hiding among the trees of Eden. According to Genesis, Adam went into hiding after the fall. I too went into hiding after the fall I caused. Where are you, Adam? God waited for Adam to come out of hiding, but Adam hid in his shame. Before the fall, Adam was not ashamed. After Eden's collapse, he was full of shame. Dark shame is true pain. It is a hurt felt in the core of our person. It is painful and potentially scarring. It can separate us from others. There's a significant lesson found in the pages of Genesis regarding this place of shame and our com comprehension of sin. Adam and Eve ate forbidden fruit and because of it attained the knowledge of good and of evil. God never intended us to have the knowledge of evil. The fall of man introduced us to the knowledge of evil. This knowledge might even direct our heart to hide from our sin instead of facing it. God walked into the garden and they hid, cognizant for the very first time of their shame. There's a real difference between guilt and shame. Proper guilt is an indication that something is not right and it should lead you to change. Guilt that is not addressed can turn to shame. Shame is when we are trying to hide ourselves from God. When you feel ashamed, it is certainly a good idea to open your heart and turn to God in these times. So don't confuse guilt and shame. Let me close with this. A gift. After a cooling down period, I felt it was safe to come home. I made my way from my hiding place and into our house. My parents certainly had a word for me, albeit brief, as I was promptly sent to my room without any dinner. I asked to apologize and think about what I had done. Both were easy enough to do at this point. Guilt should move you to remorse. Contrition is a gift. An hour later, a light knock on the door of my bedroom and a plate full of supper plus a couple of cookies arrived served by my brother Kevin. No hugs or smiles, but a gesture of goodwill said more than words could ever have. And I can't find a reason to hide anymore. My brother loved his enemy. And that was me. What a powerful lesson. But I want to ask you a question. Why do we hide when we fail or when we sin? What is it that causes us to hide? Do, why do we hide ourselves? I'll tell you, dark places invite us to hide because... We, are felt, we feel concealed in that darkness. Darkness is not the place that we should run to when we fail. We need to come to the light and let the love of God and the healing and the forgiveness come into our lives to set us free. A lot of people struggle with their belief and their faith because they're struggling in darkness alone. God's saying, come out and let forgiveness and love set you free. Don't hide among the trees. The Bible talks a lot about trees. We should be like trees planted by the rivers of living water that bear fruit in season. The trees of the field will what? What will they do? They'll clap their hands. It talks about trees praising. How many people know the Bible when it talks about trees is talking about people? It really is. 
Adam and Eve hid among the trees of their day. But listen, we hide among the trees or the people. Birds of a feather flock together. We kind of misery loves company. We kind of hide with people who've got the same offense as us. Or struggling with the same hurt. Come on. Or carry the same prejudice that we do. And so we think that we're safe with them. Or maybe, how many people know, we hide for a multitude of reasons among people that feel very similar to us. Come on, let's be honest today. We know that to be true. Would you agree? Let me read you another miracle story about trees. It won't take very long. It's found in Mark chapter 8, verse 22 to verse 25. I'm going to read it from the Living Bible. It's a little different interpretation of it. If you want to turn there to Mark chapter 8, verse 22 to 25. This is a beautiful miracle story. It's a healing story. God healing our vision. Healing us from our blindness. Verse 22. When they arrived at Bethesda, some people brought a blind man to him and begged him, begged Jesus, to touch and heal him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village, watch this, and spat upon his eyes and laid his hands over them. This is Jesus speaking now. Can you see anything now? Jesus asked him. Verse 24, the man looked around. Yes, he said, I see men, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like blurry trees walking around. This is where I got the idea for my book, Pastor Paul. Most people see things not clear. Blurry trees walking around. Verse 25, then Jesus placed his hands over the man's eyes again. Everybody say again. And as the man stared intently, his sight was completely restored, and he saw everything, say everything, everything clearly drinking in the sights around him. Isn't that a great miracle story? I love this passage. See, Jesus enters this dark man world, dark, this, this man's darkened world, and just like you, when you walk into a darkened room, what's the first thing you're looking for? Come on. You're, you're looking for the light switch because we don't want darkness. We really want the light on. This is what Jesus does. He's the light of the world, and he walks into this man's world, and he switches on the light, and he can see. It's a beautiful story of Jesus. Perfect, pure Jesus territory here. Located, you know, by the way, Jesus' CV, his resume is found in Luke chapter 4. If you want to know why Jesus came, Luke chapter 4 explains it. He came to preach the gospel, the good news to the poor. He, he came to bring recovery of sight to the blind. Come on now, right, right here's an example. He came to bring freedom to the captives, preach the favor of the Lord. Come on, church. This is what Jesus wants to do, and he wants to do it all the time for us. This is pure Jesus' territory here. He loves Healing the blind. In fact, the Bible's very clear that the number of miracles that are recorded in the Bible, see, Jesus did many more miracles than what's recorded in the Bible, but according to my study, miracles of healing blind eyes was his number one. He healed more blind people than he did all the other miracles. Isn't that amazing? He loves to turn on the light. Come on, turn on the light, Jesus, in this place. Give us more of your light. Hallelujah. See, one story, Jesus heals two blind people at the same time. He's got two hands. Why not? Come on. He heals them both. Another time, he spits into the dirt. A little bit of the holy DNA. He turns mud balls into eyeballs, and he heals a blind man. Come on. That's not a hard thing for Jesus to do. You and I were created out of dust. He breathed. We're all dust. Come on. Every part of us is a little bit more dust to put into our eyes. That's what Jesus does. He heals us, and that wasn't a big deal to Jesus. 
Jesus also healed this young guy named Bart. I think it was Homer's son. I don't know. Anyways, he's yelling on the side of the road, heal me, Jesus. And he was a loud mouth. And uh, anyways, Jesus heals him. Jesus heals a lot of people. But in Mark chapter 8, this story is just so, so amazing. You know, in fact, before we get to John, uh, Mark 8, John 9 is also another favorite of mine where Jesus heals the blind. Here's a blind man. Okay, listen to this. Blind from birth. He, he feels the warmth of the sun, but he's never seen a sunset. He feels the shadow of the mountain, but he's never seen its peak, the majesty of its peak. He hears the roar of the ocean, but he's never seen the, the, the waves crash upon the... He's heard his mother and father's voice, but he's never seen their image. How many people know being born blind would be a great tragedy? And some people are today. But can I tell you, there's a lot of people like all of us who are born spiritually blind, and we need Jesus to come and heal us from our spiritual blindness. We may think that we sense things that are okay, but it's not all that God has for us. And this is where this story in Mark chapter 9 just absolutely, Mark chapter 8 just absolutely jumps off the, off the pages for me. I want you to close your eyes for just a minute. Would you just help me in this message here? Because I need you to participate with me. And if you close your eyes, I'm, some of you are thinking, wow, he's closing in prayer already. No, 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 don't get too excited. I'm not closing in prayer right now. But I want you to close your eyes and imagine if from this moment forward, you could no longer see. Keep your eyes closed. And you had to find your way out of here, watch out for the posts, the doors, find your car, get a ride with somebody, and you had to take every step of the way blind. Remember where, where you came from. How many steps from here to there? How would you do if you had to get out of here, if you had to go blind? Now, slowly, just slowly, open your eyes. In the remaining minutes we have, I want to talk with you about seeing with new eyes. Just open your eyes. Lord Jesus, heal our eyes. Heal our eyes. Would you say that prayer with me? Lord Jesus, heal my eyes. Why am I asking that? Because in this miracle story, to me, the story of the blind man who, who was touched once by Jesus, then see men blurry like trees, to me, I always struggled. This feels like a two-part miracle. Did Jesus give a half-baked miracle and they said, oh, I better do it again? And uh, oh, that didn't work the first time. Absolutely not. It wasn't a miracle that had two parts because Jesus didn't get it right the first time. Jesus got it completely right. The reason why there's two parts is for you and I. You see, some of us have come to Jesus once and have been touched by him, and we think we see clearly enough because we've seen Jesus one time, that we may have given our life to Christ, and we see things differently, come on now, than where we used to. Why well, once was lost, but now I'm fine. Why well, once was blind, but now I see. And we think that we see clearly enough. But can I tell you the reason why this miracle has two parts is because we need to come to Jesus again. We can never stop coming to Jesus because he has more for us to see. You know, Jesus could have said, well, at least you're better. I mean, you know, you didn't see before. What are you complaining about? At least you're better. And then he walks off. Jesus, no, no, no. Jesus didn't, does not want to make his life just better. Neither does he want to make your life better, because he has far more than that for you. Some of you think that what you've experienced in your faith, some of you are so nostalgic. I wish I had that old time religion. Give me that old. You want something that you used to have. Can I tell you, God's not going backwards. He's got something for you that's better than it ever was. 
You say, well, at least I'm better. At least I'm not that. And I used to be this and that. And now I'm this. That's good enough. It's never good enough when the God that was more than enough has more in store for you. Come on, church. This is where God's taking you in 2019. You thought 2018 was awesome. Some of you that struggled in 2018, listen, there's redemption coming. There's redemption coming for all the things that you've suffered and endured. 2019, God has more in store for you. Jesus asked this man an interesting question. He says, what do you see? I think that's kind of strange. He just put spittle in his eye. What do you see? But Jesus is looking for his engagement in the miracle. God doesn't just magic wand you. Hello, I want to be mature in the faith. Poof. I want this. Poof. He there's no magic in the kingdom of God. How many people know that? He wants your engagement. He wants your participation in faith. He wants your confession. He wants your belief system to line up with what his word says. And so we see this as an amazing story. I'm also puzzled by it because I'm thinking, do I not see clearly enough? Maybe there's things in my life that I think I see well enough. You see, I've been touched by Jesus, and I've come to the Lord many times, but maybe there's more for me than I presently am experiencing right now. And maybe, anybody here on Instagram know what I'm talking about? They got, you know, you take a picture on Instagram, then you put a filter over it, make you look really nice. It makes it look way better than it really is. Removes all the wrinkles and, you know, hey, I'm on Instagram, and you can make yourself look amazing. And we put filters, and sometimes the filters are what we present to the world. We want other people to see us through our filters. This is the way we want them to perceive who we are. And so we kind of hide who we really are with the filters that we have in our life. And I think even for myself, listen to me. I think that we have a false hope that we present. I'm going to talk to you right now. Are you ready for this? You might want to buck your seatbelt because I'm going to go here just for a few minutes. Just a couple minutes and I want to explain something to you. Is I think that we put a false hope filter over our lives. Let me tell you. Some of you are looking at life and you think you look clearly. But you look through the filter of hurt. H for hope. you got a false hope. H-O-P-E. Hurt. You look at others and you feel hurt still. And you still feel that this is something that you can't overcome. And you go through life because somebody said something and you're hurt. And you're, just, you're troubled with certain things. The things didn't work out. And so all that you see is through the filter of hurt. Jesus wants you to come back to him one more time. Lord, heal us from the hurt that's in our lives. So we can see you and see others clearly. Some of you are looking through the filter of offense. You can't get over what happened to you. And you're offended. In fact, you like hanging around with other offended people and talking about your offense and making a big party about it. And blah, 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 blah. And you know the offended people right away. They're the loud ones. And blah, 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 blah. A lot of times watch it in the complaints that come forward and the offense that's filtering their vision. And God wants to heal us. Lord Jesus, remove the offense from our lives. Heal us, Father, from all those things that we've been offended. We forgive, Lord. We practice forgiveness. And we release offense from our hearts and from our minds in Jesus' name. Some of us struggle with the idea of P, H-O-P-E, that we have a filter of pride. You don't even know you've got that filter on because that's the problem with pride. It's, it's something you need to repent of every day because all of us struggle with pride in some form or whatsoever. And it filters how we see others. In fact, it can hurt you so badly that prejudice rises up in you. And you judge other people and you look down on other people because of the color of their skin or because of their social economic status. And you look at them with a 
prejudice that Jesus never intended for you. This man saw men blurry like trees. He did not see the form of who those people were because it was blurry to him. Perhaps God wants to heal us of our pride. In fact, Lord, we repent right now. Any pride that's in us, in our hearts, in our lives, remove it from us because you give grace to the humble and you resist the proud. We need more of your grace in our lives to heal us, Lord Jesus. Oh, come, Lord Jesus. And the result is blurry vision, and we don't want that, Father. And I also will, I'll say this. Some, the next one is a green filter. Green with envy. H-O-P-E. Some of you are so envious of others. I wish I had that, and I wish I had this. And, well, if I had that, that wife, or if those, if those kids were my kids. Listen, dude, if those kids were your kids, they'd be jacked up just as much as your kids are right now. I'm just telling you. Just because you want their kids makes your life better, that is a fallacy. Envy doesn't work itself out. God, rid us of envy. We don't want other people's lives. We don't want other people's blessings. We want our own. We want our own victories. We want our own joys. We want our own transformation. We don't want other people's. We'll celebrate with them, Lord, as you bless us with what... Because God can never bless who you're pretending to be. He can't. So God, heal us of our envy. Now, I, I just want to briefly just wrap things up. And I'll say it this way. Most people don't see things as they are. They, say th they see things as they are. Through the filter of their experience. And God wants us to come back to Jesus one more time. And the other thing is God doesn't want to give you rose-colored glasses. He doesn't want to give you an optimistic filter to look on the bright side of life. You see, God has got something far better than optimism. He's got hope and faith in Christ Jesus that your life is going to be transformed to become renewed to all that he has for you. Some of you don't, don't settle for where you're. Willowdale Community Church, don't settle for what you have experienced in 2018. Oh, I got a story, Pastor Paul, I'm going to go here. This church has got a destiny on it. That worship that we experienced today, that's going to reach the multitudes. Thousands and thousands of people can be touched by the gospel message that comes out of this house. Don't just settle for what was good enough. I don't care if your church is better than it used to be. God's got more than better. He's got more in store. Your future and your destiny. Am I trying to get your hopes up? Absolutely. I'm prophesying into your preferred future. You see, you've got some things going on here that are pretty awesome. But can I tell you, the best is yet to come. Come on, look, 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 look. Open our eyes, Lord. Open our vision, Father. Give us greater vision for all that you've called us to because it's here, Lord, and we're going to step into it by faith. We might not see it today, but we're going to walk into it in Jesus' name. Faith says now is the time. Now is the time to apprehend those things which God has prepared for us. He's been preparing you for what he has prepared for you. God's got good things, and you got to get ready for it in Jesus' name. And you can't cling to a God that you once knew. You can only hold on to a God that you know now. So your relationship, the intimacy with God is vital for the future that God's called you to is don't hang on to what you had. Even in your faith. Come on, church. You think you know enough scripture, you know enough, but come on. Am I preaching okay here? You think you've got all that you need to know. No, no, no. Woo! Open the doors, Lord. Bring it, Lord. We want more. We want what you have. 
In fact, all of us, let's stand in the moment here. I just feel that we need to just enter in. We need to do a, a declaration, a prophetic declaration for, the, for us entering, leaving this year into the, what God has called us for the new year. Lord, Lord we're ex, we have, ex, in fact, I want you to look this way as a sign of moving forward. Everyone, Father, in the name of Jesus, what you have for us, we receive it in Jesus' name. We're going to walk into it. We're going to inherit it. We're going to receive it. We're going to take it, Lord. We're going to take what you've promised us, and we're going to apprehend it now in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray you open our eyes. In fact, hold, put your hands on your eyes right now. Lord, heal my vision. Heal my eyes. Heal me from my hurt, my offense, my pride, my envy. All those things go now in Jesus' name, and let me inherit the promises that you've called me to. And in Jesus' mighty name, we will let go of old patterns of thinking, and we'll embrace the new way that you've called us, the new things that are in store for us. In the mighty name of Jesus, touch our eyes one more time, Lord Jesus. Touch our eyes one more time. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.